Thank you very much. Um, so I'm continuing the prayer series today and looking at Jesus praying for us, um, which is just an amazing topic. The fact that I can even stand here and say that, that the whole focus of today's sermon is going to be the fact that we have a God who prays for us. And I don't think any other faith can say that, uh, but we can say that our whole faith is centered around a God who cares and who intercedes and prays for us, not only in scripture, but continues to pray for us, ever living to make intercession. Um, so I'm very excited. I was giddy preparing this uh, because I, it's just one of my favorite things to kind of explode about. Um, and so I'm really excited for us to just delve in. Um, before we get kind of focused into the main passage that I'm going to look at today, um, I just want you to put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples for a moment. Uh, now, when we think about the disciples, I think sometimes we can forget that these are teenage lads. Um, I know that we've got kind of some young people in today because of the, the children are not going out. Um, so your age, and uh, these teenagers have walked with the Son of God in the flesh. So they have seen the moments from the height of glory to the most minute, mundane details of life with him. They have seen Jesus uh, preach. <laughs> They've seen Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount. Can you imagine God himself being there in person when God himself speaks about his kingdom and his way of life? They've seen him reach out and touch someone and heal them in a moment. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen him with a word cause blind eyes to be opened. Uh, in a word cause deaf ears to be opened. I just can't imagine. Can you imagine what the, the discussions around the bonfires of the evening would be like after a day walking with Jesus, seeing people literally come to life again, seeing eyes that have never seen before, see color for the first time. Can you imagine how they've gone through a whole day, they've seen Jesus do miracle after miracle, and then they sat with him around the bonfire. What that must have been like, the burning in their hearts. Can you tell us about what it is that we see you do? And yet, after they've seen all of these things that Jesus have done, they have one question for him. I'm sure they had many, but there's one recorded question in Luke 11, and that is, teach us to pray. Uh, Luke 11 verse 1 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. I think it's amazing that every aspect of Jesus' life that I just talked about is worthy of hours of discussion. We could talk literally for hours on the miraculous power to heal, to save, on the grace and truth that pour forth from Jesus' lips, on the way that he preaches, on the way that he delivers, on the way that he heals, on the way that he's moved by compassion. And yet, you never hear recorded the question, Jesus teach us how to preach teach us how to deliver, teach us how to heal. And yet Jesus goes away to pray and they say, 
teach us how to pray. There was something that they saw about the prayer life of Jesus and they connected the dots that Jesus's public ministry was directly linked to his private prayer life. And I think the same can be said of us. Um, I think that if the disciples are looking at the greatest leader of all time, these teenage lads, and it was prayer that gripped their heart the most, then there's something that's that that can show us about our life, about our prayer life, about our ministry has to be fueled from a place of prayer. And so I'm so excited that we get to together go on this journey of what does that actually mean? And so my prayer throughout this whole series so far and beyond that has been the same as the disciples because I don't think we can ever reach the limit of that. And that is teach me how to pray. Would you teach me whatever is burning in your heart, whatever it was that sparks that question in those teenagers, tell that to me because I need to know that. And so before we go any further, if it's okay with you, I'd like us to pray that. Um, I'm going to pray and then I just, I'm actually just going to give a minute or two of silence because it's so easy to go through just another church series and just another sermon. But this is life. This is not a sideline to Jesus' ministry. The DNA, the marrow in the bones of Jesus' ministry was his prayer life. And it's something that needs to be our DNA. It needs to be the marrow of our, us as a congregation. And I really believe that, not because of the preachers that we've got here at all, but because, just as Rob said, this was God's idea to do a series on prayer at this time. And we get the privilege of taking it seriously and saying, actually, will you help us? Will you help us be a a praying people? And so I'm going to pray and then I'd love for you to engage with God however you want and just ask him, God, teach me how to pray. Jesus, I thank you that you fascinated a group of 12 young teenagers. Lord, that your prayer life as you walked on this earth sparked a desperate hunger in them. Lord, and you have sparked that same hunger in us. Lord, and whether we are seasoned intercessors or whether we've never prayed aloud before, whether we've never um, considered what prayer even means before, whether we've not even heard about who you are properly before, Lord, there is always more to learn about you and there's always further to go in conversation with you. So Lord, we quiet our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, and we say, teach us how to pray. God, I ask in my prayer life, teach me how to pray. Take me deeper. Take me further. Let whatever sparked that hunger in in your disciples be sparked in me. Open my eyes, God. Touch my heart. Teach me how to pray. God, we ask as a group of people that you would teach us. Lord, it has to be more than vain words. It has to be the power of your spirit. The spirit that breathed life into those disciples' hearts. Breathe it into ours. 
Lord, I ask that as I share this morning, you would say only through me, only that which you want to say. God, I ask that you would give us all open hearts, that you would lead us in however you wish to, that our own lives would be transformed as we become even more so a praying people, drawn in by the fire in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so there are multiple recorded times in scripture where Jesus prays. Um, I'm not going to touch greatly on them because I, I think it's been previously done in the series and will continue to be. Um, but we know that on his time on the earth, he was in unceasing communion with his father. But there were recorded actual times of prayer. So at his baptism, he was in prayer. When he began his public ministry in Mark uh, chapter 1, it says that he rose a great while before dawn and went out and departed into a solitary place and prayed. When he was about to select his 12 apostles, Luke says that he went out onto a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. And we know uh, that he died with prayers on his lips, even on the cross. He was saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Um, But in in most cases, not all of them, but in most of the cases that uh, Jesus is recorded praying, we're not actually told what he prays. Like I said, in some cases we are, but not often. Um, We're just told that he does pray. And this is until uh, John 17, which is the scripture we're going to look at mostly today. Um, And we are given, I love it, 26 verses of peering into the fellowship of the Trinity. I don't want us to skip past how amazing this chapter is. Because what you're seeing in this chapter is God the Son speaking to God the Father through the power of God the Spirit. That is a conversation that has been going on from the beginning of time, that conversation between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are given 26 verses where we are allowed a front row view into that conversation, where the desires of the Son are brought forth before his Father by the inspiration of the Spirit. We can see those desires and we come to the realization that in that conversation, that holy, beautiful conversation, he's praying for us. So when we peer into the conversation of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that most beautiful conversation, we find out that the topic of conversation is you and I, and that should leave us in awe. Um, Now, like I say, there are 26 verses. We have got about 20 minutes, so we're going to touch on maybe two of them, Um, but it's amazing. Uh, God the Son is talking to God the Father through the power of the God Spirit about his desire for us. It's unthinkable. So when we're looking at Jesus in the flesh praying, what does he actually pray for? Um, So this chapter is broken down into really three sections. So we see him pray for himself. We see him pray for his disciples. And we see him pray for all believers, a.k.a. us. Um, And so that's where we're going to zoom in on today because I think nothing will inspire us to pray more than to find out that Jesus is praying for us. Um, I love this quote about this chapter. It says, There is no voice which has ever been heard, neither in heaven or in earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than the prayer offered up by the Son of God himself. Plain words, yet incomparable majesty. Simple words, yet profound uh, mystery. So like I said, we're not going to go into all 26 verses, but I'm going to highlight a few points from a couple of those verses. We're going to look at four points. 
And that is the way that Jesus comes before his father. He's motivated by desire. He actually wants us to know him. And he's doing the same right now. Uh, Point one, he comes before his father. You know, I think we can learn just as much uh, from Jesus' prayer life by the content of his prayers than actually by looking at how much his life was infiltrated by prayer. Um, And I think the fact that the very first word of this prayer um, is Father, when you look at uh, John 17 verse 1, and it's amazing because when the disciples ask Jesus teaches how to pray and Jesus lays out the model of prayer, he starts in exactly the same way. And I'm not get, going to get into that because that's someone else's topic. But he says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And then you see Jesus, the Son of God himself, actually following his own advice. And he comes to this prayer and he says, Father. And I don't want us to skip past that one word because how does that affect our prayer life? in exactly the same way. What Jesus is saying here is before you go anywhere, you need to know who it is that you're coming before. And if we try and come to prayer times with a wrong perception of who it is that we are standing before and having a conversation with, then that will dramatically affect the way that we pray. If we can grasp hold of that when we come to our prayer times, we're not coming before someone who uh, is a slave driver, is a taskmaster. We're not coming uh, because we are needed. We're actually simply coming before a father who desires to hear the voices of his children, who desires to give his children good gifts. Um, I love in Matthew, it says, when you pray, go into the secret place, shut the door, and your father who is in the secret place will reward you openly. I think sometimes we have this idea that we come to our prayer times and we have to convince God to come and show up. Like, God, here I am, just little old me, but I've been told that prayer is a good thing to do, so I'm going to come and do it. Please come and make it worth it. Please show up so this time I've set aside is worth it. But if we take the word literally, it says your father who is in the secret place Go in and shut your door, be in the secret place and meet your father who's already there. So not only do we come before a father, we come before a father who is ready and waiting. There is no need for us to twist his arm. He's not uh, like, oh no, (laughs) they've come again. I'd best be torn away from this really important job that I'm doing. Um, But he's there, ready and waiting in the secret place, wanting conversation with his children. Now, what I absolutely love, and what I don't think we will ever fully understand, but we can try to have our minds blown by, is that that confidence, when we see Jesus come before his Father in this prayer, there is absolutely no doubt in his mind that his Father is listening, that his Father is on his side, and that his Father wants to answer his prayer. But we get that same confidence You might think, well, it's okay because that's Jesus. He's the son of God. Of course, he's going to be confident before his father. But John 15, 9 tells us, as a father loves me, I have also loved you. So Jesus loves us the same way that the father loves him. And if Jesus is the exact representation of the father, then the amazing conclusion that we can come to is that the father loves you and I the exact same way that he loves Jesus. Perfect 
unflawed, sinless Jesus, and yet he loves you and I the same way. So when we see Jesus come to his prayer time in full confidence, he's saying this is accessible for you too. Every time we open our mouths in prayer, we have that same access. We are loved the same way and we can stand in the same confidence that we will be heard and our prayers will be answered. Amen. We come before a God who is for us. We don't come in prayer to twist his arm. We come before a father. Okay, second point. I love, love this. We see that Jesus is motivated by desire. We're going to skip all the way to verse 17. uh, Sorry, verse 24 of chapter 17, which says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Now, just to put this in context, this kind of outburst that we see from Jesus is right before, it's like the day before he goes to be crucified. So he's literally standing on the edge of an event that is going to change human history forever. He's about to go through the darkest moments of his life. It says that he was marred more than any man, rejected, despised. Every horrific thing that you can imagine being done to a person was done to our Savior. And that's the event that he is standing before looking to because he knows fully what's going to happen and so we're hearing at this point his last request of his last prayer on his last full day on earth for a while we know he's going to come back and he is erupting with desire not despair he's saying father I desire that the ones that you've given me may be with me where I am that they would behold my glory Now, you have to remember that this is a conversation that has been going on between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit since before time began, since we were were here. And so he's saying, Lord, Father, we had this conversation, and we discussed that I was going to have a bride, a bride who loved me, a bride who would be with me, a bride who would see me and experience me and behold me in the fullness of who I am. And right now, in this moment, before I'm about to do what's going to make that possible, I'm reminding you that this is what I want. I want a people who love me, and I want them to be with me where I am. I want more than lip service. I want more than people who know my name. I want relationship. And at this moment before I go onto the cross, Father, hear my heart's cry. I want friends. I want a bride. Um, So he is motivated solely by desire. Just before his crucifixion, there's this desire burning within the Godhead. It's a glimpse into the motivation of the cross, It's one thing to know that the cross happened and it's another thing to peer into the moments before and find that Jesus was praying for us. Um, I've put a little, Father, we dreamed about something in the beginning. We talked about a bride before the foundations of this earth and I desire her now. Um, Now, yes, we can look at Jesus's prayer and see that, but how on earth does that affect our prayer life now? Well, I really believe that the same desire that is propelling Jesus to the place of prayer in this moment is actually the very same desire that will propel us to the place of prayer if we allow it to. You see, it changes everything when we realize that there is a God who actually wants us. I remember when someone first told me, you know, God actually likes you. And I was like, well, duh. (laughs) But then it sank in what they actually meant because we're told all along from the moment we become a Christian, you know, God loves you. God loves you and it's like his job 
like he has to love you. God loves you, God loves you. But if you actually take hold of the fact that he not only loves you, he likes you, like he actually enjoys spending time with you. He actually created you to be the way that you're created to. And more than that, now we see that he not only loves you, he not only likes you, but he is bursting with desire to be with you forever. Like that's how much he likes you. Then that will actually change everything about the way we pray. I think desire is the bridge from duty to delight. I think we start by praying out of duty because we think that's what good Christians should do. We find verses like this that tell us that we're wanted and desired by God. And that desire suddenly turns that duty into delight as we realize who it is we're talking to. And it begins to change the conversation for a, uh, forever. Um, just to tell you a, a little bit of a story of how that journey looked for me... Um, I spent, uh, I did a six-month internship in a ministry over in America focused on prayer. And the day that I showed up there, bear in mind I was 18, I was in a bit of a mess, and I'd just flown across the world uh, to, I didn't know what to do, basically. And I show up at this place, and um, they say, okay, so on your first day of this internship, what we're going to have you do is, we don't want to tell you a bunch of stuff. We basically want to give you space to go and talk to God. Ask him what he has for you in this six months, for you to give him this six months, and for you to just have this day, you and God, to set the course for your next six months that you're going to be with us. Which sounds beautiful, right? <laughs> Until they say, so the way we're going to do that is you're going to go into the prayer room for 10 hours, and um, we're not going to let you take your phones in with you because you really, we really want you to actually connect with God. Um, so you've got the amazing privilege of going to pray for 10 hours. And I was like, dear Lord, <laughs> this is too far for me to turn around and go home. <laughs> like, what do I do now? Um, so because I'm like British and I do what I'm told, I... Um, I went into this room and I sat there and I prayed for everything I could think to pray for. And I'm thinking, like, this is no exaggeration here. I'm thinking, like, this internship is working already. Like, I am nailing this. I've prayed more than I've ever prayed in my life. Like, this is amazing. Uh, Must be about halfway through my time now. Open my eyes. No kidding. Half an hour had passed. (laughs) And I would love to say that this day was just like some glorious transformation. And from there, it was like singing and joy and laughter. But it was just plain torture. Um, And I, yes, slowly uh, began to just wonder what on earth I'd got myself signed up for. And uh, is it too late to book a return flight back? How much will that cost? What am I doing with my life? But (laughs) it gets better. Over the course of six months, I went on this journey where, that's where I started, couldn't do more than half an hour in prayer, hated life, wondering what I was doing, to at the end of my six months there, so as part of the program, we spent six hours a night in the prayer room. And at the end of my six months, I was at the point of getting told off by my leaders because I was always late home. And it wasn't because I was doing something ridiculous. It was because I got so carried away in prayer that I didn't realize that I was late. And my leaders were having to say, like, we love you, but you need to stick to the rules. I was like, but Jesus. (laughs) Now, I don't say that to make you think I'm super holy because do I spend six hours in prayer a day now? No. Um, Who has time for that? 
But I say that to encourage you that if you are at the point where uh, you're like 15 minutes of prayer is, is long enough for me and I don't think I could do any more, that what changed in my heart was literally to pass time. I started reading the Bible in the prayer room because like, I've got six hours to kill. I've prayed my half an hour. What am I going to do now? And I discovered verses like this one that said God desired me and it absolutely shook me from the core because suddenly my prayer times were not a tick list. It was a conversation with a God who was for me and wanted to speak to me and loved me. And I could not. It's like I was an, an addict. I couldn't get enough um, of that truth and the way that it would change my life. Um, so I know that Jesus in this prayer is mainly praying about the full like fulfillment of this when one day we actually will stand with him where he is in the flesh um but i think that we can experience part of that now in terms of we can't be with him in the flesh right now but we can be with him in prayer we can give him more than lip service we can have that union that he is seeking for simply by speaking to him okay point three we're gonna whiz through this now (laughs) uh he wants to know us So the second part of that verse, verse 24, is that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is incredible. So this is Jesus going, I don't actually just want her to be with me forever. I want her to be her supreme source of entertainment forever and ever and ever. I want her to be lost in who I am. When you look at that word behold, it means to look at, to gaze, to see, experience, discern, and partake of. So Jesus is praying that you and I will actually experience and partake of who he is forever. Now, once again, how does this affect our prayer life now? Because I, once again, think that though there will be a day that we are beholding Jesus face to face as opposed to in a mirror dimly, as the scripture says, but I think once again that we can experience part of this now. And I think that the Father is already beginning to answer the Son's prayers and letting us behold him in his glory, which will in turn draw us into a place of prayer where we'll know him more. It's just like glorious cycle of we see more, we respond more, we see more, we respond more, and he takes us deeper and further. Matthew 16, there's this whole interaction between Jesus and Simon Peter. Simon by Jonah at the time. And to paraphrase, it's Jesus going, who does everyone say I am? And the disciples go, well, some people say you're this. Some people say that you're this. Some people say that you're this. And Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And we see that Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus's response is amazing. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. See, this is the reality is that when we see who he is, we discover who we are. Did you see how it was the revelation of Jesus Christ that turned Peter from Simon Barjona to Peter? That was the difference. That was the turning moment. And I think when Jesus is praying, 
Father, I want my people to behold me in all of my glory. Part of that is because he knows that the moment that we see who he is, we will understand who we are. There is no clearer way to understand our identity than to understand his identity. And I think we can get so caught up in finding out what our calling is and our assignment is. If we would just set our eyes on him and say, I'm going to make my calling to look at you, to behold you, and to find out what you're like through prayer by just talking to you, even though I don't know what to say, I'm going to search for your hearts. Then in that, we would find out who we are because that's how it works. Um, Okay, we will, for the sake of time, do the last point and then we will close. Um, And that is that Jesus is doing the same right now. So this prayer that we see, I know we've literally touched on like two verses from this whole entire prayer, and there is so much that you could unpack in there. We could do a a whole series or two on John 17, looking at how he wants his church to be unified and all of this. But what we see is Jesus' intercession before the Father. And what the scripture tells us is that this is what he has given himself to forever. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now Jesus, the Son of God, has chosen to make prayer his primary occupation forever and ever and ever. Now what does that mean for us? Well, multiple things. Firstly, you can have full confidence that Jesus's prayers are always answered because he's Jesus and he is fully aligned with the will of his father. So if you know that you have Jesus forever praying for you, how comforting that whatever situation you are facing, whatever thing you are battling, there is a prayer taking place in heaven that is stronger and will be answered. He will see you through because Jesus is interceding on your behalf forever. Secondly, that speaks volumes of your value. If we could grasp our value, that would dramatically change the way that we pray. In terms of if Jesus has given himself to prayer for you forever, he must really like you a lot. And thirdly, if Jesus has given himself to prayer forever, I think there's something for us to learn in that about what he asks of us. And just as we talked about, we have the exact same access to the heart of the Father, but we actually have exact same access to that place of intercession that Jesus is in. And if Jesus is meant to be my best friend, if he's my savior and my king, and he's given himself to something forever, then if I really want to get to know him, and if I really want to look like him and become Christ-like, which we all do, then part of that is going to be me joining with him in that place. So one of my favorite prayers to pray is... Jesus, at this moment, what are you praying? If you are stood praying before your father right now, tell me so I can join with you. Because you might be praying for, I don't know if this is how it works, you might be praying for Afghanistan right now, and I know nothing about Afghanistan, but I want to. And if that's what you're praying for, if that's what your heart is for, and you are making intercession for your beloved people in that nation, then I can know nothing. But because I can come boldly before the throne of grace and stand with you, knowing that you're my friend as well as the great high priest, let's pray together. There is nothing like a prayer life that is fueled by Jesus's prayer life. Um, so it's just something to grab hold of. I would encourage you to, there's so much 
significance in the fact that Jesus has become a great high priest forever and has given himself to this forever. And so I encourage you to search the depths of that significance and ask him if he's chosen to do that thing forever out of everything, prayer forever, then why? Why let him show us, let him help us and let us understand what that means? Just one little fact to encourage you before we close. So um, in the 90s, there were probably about a, f- a few dozen uh, 24-7 expre- expressions of prayer and worship in the entire globe. Just 10 years later, so 2018 we're in now, there's a, it's estimated that there's over 20,000 24-7 expressions of prayer and worship in the entire globe. Now... Am I saying 24-7 prayer and worship is the only thing that we should be doing? No. What I am saying is that the Father is committed to answering the prayer of his Son. And yes, the full fulfillment of that will be when we're there face-to-face, but he's doing it right now. And if there's been an increase from a few dozen to over 20,000 24-7 expressions of prayer and worship in the globe, that's because Jesus is saying, Father, I desire that my people would be with me where I am and would see me for the fullness of who I am. The Father is answering it. People are seeing him for who he really is, are becoming undone and saying the only right response to who you are is 24-7 because you are worthy of 24-7. And if there was eight days, you'd be worthy of 24-8. Now, I'm not saying we should start 24-7 prayer. I'm saying that that is a sign of what the Father is doing. And if he can do it across the globe like that, he can do it for us. He can open our eyes to see, behold the glory of who Jesus is and help us to respond rightly in whatever way that looks like in our lives. So let's pray. Jesus, what a thought it is to think that we are a part of your prayer being answered. Lord, I ask that those words would echo through our beings over the next week. Father, I desire that those that you've given me would be with me where I am, that they would behold my glory. Lord, we say our desire is the same. We want to be with you. We want union with you. We want to behold you and be changed by who you are. Teach us how to pray like you. Teach us what it means to be with you, to behold you, and to talk with you and to you. In Jesus' name, amen.